0: Hello. Welcome to Laminiforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am a songwriter in the band Laminiforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today I am joined by Andrew Napier, the composer behind the project Numenau. Andrew is a film composer based in Los Angeles, who started creating and releasing music under the name Numina as a way of expressing musical ideas and techniques that didn't fit into his professional life. Drawing from an eclectic blend of electronic genres and acoustic instruments, Andrew's music is rich with sonic detail. During our conversation, Andrew and I discussed the recording process for Numina's first album. How his background in film scoring shaped the project and where he plans on taking the project next. Thank you for listening. Your project, Numino, was already kind of getting going by that point by the time that you set up the studio, is that is yep. that correct?
1: Exactly, yeah. I started the sound design phase. Or the sound recording capturing, you know, the ingredient phase, winter of two thousand eighteen, and mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was definitely not in this apartment by then. So I, I was I was starting to conceive the project and prepare for it in November, December two thousand eighteen.
0: Was that you said that the first stage was like collecting sounds? You weren't really thinking of it as like writing songs at that point. It was like collecting material. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, I
1: wanted to take a lot of care in the sound design um, phase. Uh, mm-hmm. like what are the elements I'm going to use to create the music?
0: Why'd you decide to approach it that way?
1: Um, well, I already knew that I, th- th- in terms of the dimension of melody and harmony, I already knew I was going to utilize, you know, my kind of harmonic language I have always been attracted to. And I like, so I didn't really have to think about that, those dimensions that much, but because I wanted to do a more, uh, I guess, electronica release this genre, especially these days. The characteristic, I I would say, the idiosyncrasies uh, mostly come from the sound design, right? So, and I, I never really took the time to really explore the sound design phase uh, for an extended period of time and take care into it, or putting a lot of time into it. If that makes sense,
0: was that something that? intrigued you about writing in this genre to begin with, the fact that it would require you to, like, develop a different set of skills and, you know, take this kind of sound design-first approach?
1: Yes, totally. And also, I was analyzing a lot of artists within this realm. Um, You can call it electronica sample-based music. You know, uh, Bonobo, Tycho, like, the original... Even Tim Hecker. I don't know if... You know, I think he uses... I mean, technically, any recording is a sample, right? Right. But I noticed, you know, these the sounds themselves are kind of like ingredients that you, you bake and then they, something new emerges from those sounds. So if you take Mm -hmm. care and finding like high quality ingredients that will, the, those decisions will accumulate in the final product. Does that make sense? Totally. I actually
0: don't think that's almost, while I do understand the, um, the difference that you're drawing between that and say, more conventionally, like, live performance recording music. I think that same philosophy actually does apply to, you know, like, this is sort of like the Steve Albini thing with recording, like, rock bands, is that you just get the sounds as good as they possibly can be in the room, and that just saves everyone a ton of time down the
1: road. Uh, My analogy is, like, the ingredient phase. You want to, like, go out, take some time into finding some unique and uh, charismatic ingredients, you know what I mean, and quality recordings. So take, mm-hmm. you know, a, a chunk of time to really take care in, in that realm.
0: Did you have an idea of what kind of ingredients you were looking to use or was that pretty loose and improvisational at that mm-hmm.
1: time? Yeah, I mean, this answer is probably annoying to some people who are trying to, like, delve into someone's creative process. But I, I at the outset, I definitely wanted this to be an intuitive project. So if, if something grabbed me or if I liked a sound and you can delve into what it means to be attracted to a sound or whatever... Uh, I would just go go with it. So it was very intuitive. A lot, a lot of this album was.
0: Yeah, because when I listened to it, you know, I I was listening to it earlier today to you know keep fresh and make sure that I had it in my mind's eye when talking to you about it. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is that it's got this balance of very like quote unquote unreal sounds balanced with very like organic, almost like naturalistic or like folk influenced sounds.
1: Yes, exactly. So there are a lot of you know, I went I went on a, a few hiking trips. Uh, one of them was Mammoth uh, in California. And, you know, it was an opportunity to, to capture a lot of, I guess, nature sounds. Streams, uh, ambience of walking and stuff like that. And But the thing mm-hmm. is, I didn't want it to be gimmicky. Meaning, like, I didn't want, like, just you have, like, this track and then you just plop nature sounds on top of it. Though I'm sure there is some parts that are kind of like that. I wanted it, the nature sounds in the foley, to blend Pretty seamlessly with the other stuff.
0: Totally, I, I yeah. think you actually you really pulled that off because there was a few moments cool. where I was like, "Oh, is that a, a burbling stream, exactly. or is that like stuff yeah. that's uh, adjusted to sound like it's yeah?" A burbling yeah, stream,
1: I wanted you know? ambiguity there, and I wanted it to I wanted it to blend the dimensions to blend like that. Yeah,
0: what appeals to you about that kind of blending?
1: I think sonic novelty. Especially within this genre, there is a lot of sonic novelty, and it, it can be exciting on the ears to hear mm-hmm. certain sounds. You may, you, you, maybe, uh, how, how can I put it? May, basically, hearing sounds in certain contexts that you haven't heard before. I think that's it's it's easier to do in this genre. You can kind of transcend the limitations of uh, traditional uh, band setup.
0: But even that being said, there are a fair amount of traditional instruments yes, exactly, on this record. Yes, exactly. There's a there's a lot of guitar, acoustic yes. guitar in particular. There's some stuff that definitely sounds like a flute.
1: I, I I had yeah I had a flutist or flautist whatever. I hate that stuff uh, <laughs> perform on one of the tracks. So I, I did write out some um, parts for uh, more traditional instrumentalists because mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm very much a traditional instrumentalist. So that's a part of me for sure.
0: Do you think like that background in being a traditional instrumentalist, do you think having that background improved your ability to make this kind of music and step away from those limitations, or did you feel like it was like sort of an unlearning process, or that you had to expand on your your scope of understanding to to work on the music in order to get what, the effect that you were going for?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Being yeah, so coming from that background, I knew exactly what I was able, what I'm capable of with those instruments. Mm-hmm. and there's like a there's like a threshold beyond which all right this is where i can bring in recorded uh sounds and samples to augment it and hopefully create something emergent something emergent that's greater than the parts cuz my my fear was like we were saying earlier all right we have this cool uh, synth guitar part keyboard part and then we just plop on these sounds on top of it and it's just kind of there's like this does that make sense i didn't want like a mismatch it's like we were saying earlier i wanted it to blend
0: right Well, to go back to your cooking analogy, it's not just like some sort of deconstructed, like here's a piece of bread, here's a piece of meat, here's some cheese next to it. You wanted it to be a sandwich.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So let's go back to that moment in time that you were describing, November 2018 or so, where you started working on collecting sounds. Mm -hmm. How long prior to that were you considering starting this project and what inspired you to get this project started?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way... One, I guess, addendum is the sound collection sampling plays was also me recording more traditional sounds like snares, a drum set. So it wasn't all, you know, nature stuff. But yeah. So, yeah, good question. That previous year, you know, I've 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 been out in L.A. doing the film scoring thing, trying to develop a film scoring career, which I'm still doing, which I still love. But that particular year, um, you know, it's it can be feast or famine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the, the gigs don't roll in. And, you know, I was doing a lot of library music at the time when the, when the kind of freelance gigs weren't going in. So you can kind of develop like a back-end revenue stream. And that game so is all about... for those
0: who don't know, including myself, what is sorry. library music?
1: So library music is essentially music with a commercial um, function in mind. So you, so it's, it's it tends to be more generic. It could be like a tension track, w- which is Mm -hmm. music you'll you'll like hear in reality tv or or like even a commercial something like that so you write music with a commercial function in mind and then you basically you get into a relationship with a publisher they publish your music on their music library and they get usually 50 percent of the cut but they usually have clients they know they know um showrunners and you know a variety type of a variety types of filmmakers
0: Right, so I imagine and, that it, it, it counts a lot to find the right publisher who has the exactly. right yeah, connections yeah.
1: there. And but it's it's really is a volume game. The more tracks you have out there, the more chances you have for placements. So gotcha. when when like tr- more like I guess let's say for lack of a better term, traditional film scoring gigs aren't coming in. You know when someone wants music for their project, you can kind of just do some library music to remain sane and productive. But that was getting kind of draining and not artistically gratifying. No offense to <laughs> people who do that I mean I do it so
0: right yeah no no it's like everyone's got there's obviously you know it's a a job and it's good to have a job in music exactly yeah that doesn't preclude you from also having your passion projects at the the same time exactly
1: so I I didn't so yeah I could have just summed this up more succinctly Uh, I just I I was lacking a passion project it's been it was it, it, it had been a long time since I had some sort of passion project so that that was the impetus is to just set out And do and make a music that is, you know, completely you and not beholden to other forces, whether it be another uh, artistic collaborator, director or commercial forces. If that makes any sense.
0: Uh, No, totally. 100% (laughs) makes sense. Let's continue kind of like scrolling backwards through time, because I'd like the listener to have a bit of context for where you're coming from musically before we dig into maybe a few of the specific things that are happening on on the album itself sure sure so you full context you know the two of us went to music school Uh-oh. together Oh, it's re- it's revealed oh no <laughs> everyone now knows that oh the, no you know music industry is entirely just based on who your friends are and who you went to school with oh, uh no. <laughs> what what will we do but you went to school you know if if I remember correctly, you, your undergrad was basically just music composition, and then yes. your grad school was film scoring. In yeah, 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 music right?
1: for media, music for media. Right. So film scoring, TV, video games, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, what inspired you to to take that major and to get into that as a as your primary source of study?
1: Well, you know, I actually wanted i I gained an interest in film music in high school. Actually, I more background before I go into it. I was always a guitarist, I always loved, you know, a metal and progressive metal and and let's say melodically exciting and exuberant guitar electric guitar playing, you know. But I also had an interest in film music. I started noticing the music of films when I was in high school, and that got me interested in orchestral music in general, but it was very much by way of film music. So mm-hmm. I actually went into my undergrad n- knowing that I probably wanted to do film music, even though I still had a love for playing guitar and bands and stuff. And then Berkeley, there there was only, at the time, there were only a handful of schools who offered graduate degrees that centered around uh, music for visual media. And Berkeley just had opened uh, their grad campus in Valencia, Spain that year. But Columbia also had an MFA program for film scoring. Mm-hmm. And it was just a decision between those two. Because, uh, uh, Sorry, originally I did go to Columbia because of that MFA uh, um, in film scoring.
0: Yeah, oh, it's so it, hard to decide. Do I want to spend another few years in Chicago or <laughs> do I want to move to Spain?
1: <laughs> there were pros and cons um, <laughs> because it, it was the first class, it wasn't it was in the inaugural class at, at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So there were, th- there were kinks to be worked out. But I, I'm ultimately glad I, I did. It was a good experience to get out to live outside of the country.
0: What did you think of Spain? I've never been.
1: Well, it's a very diverse country, and Valencia is, has its own, I guess, vibe. And my experience was definitely relegated to mostly Valencia. Uh, right. But I I loved it. I mean, you know, you know all the stereotypes of Spanish culture. We don't need to get into them. But it what, it did have a very relaxed energy because it was on the coast, and it was very beautiful. And it it, it was... Lovely to be able to walk around. I mean, I guess in major uh, metropolis areas in the U.S., it's similar. We, you can walk around everything. But because this is a, ultimately a medieval town, it started in the Middle Ages, you could walk through extremely old parts of the town very easily. It was just fun to, it was a fun place to explore at that age, especially. So.
0: And do you find, did you find that what, most of what you were learning was orchestration techniques or compositional? What, what do you feel like your biggest takeaways from doing that program were?
1: Honestly, it was more getting acquainted with the technology side of um, being a modern uh, composer for visual media. Mm-hmm. And how to almost, you know, it, I learned more about producing a recording so producing, mixing, and making a recording to deliver—those skill sets uh, I needed de- developing in—and that w- w- was one of my biggest takeaways. Now there was also, you know, theory and composition, and classes about just reading, you know, film and, and the, the drama behind it, and, and being aware of film scoring trends and tropes and conventions that have been used, and whether to use them or react against them. There was stuff like that. But sure. I still think my biggest takeaway was just getting acquainted with the tech side of stuff, because I'm 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 so, sorry I'm not I'm because I'm not usually intuitively a tech guy, really. To be honest,
0: do you feel like having that sort of tech training helped when you started approaching the Numina project as well?
1: It did because I had a pretty solid foundation on just recording variety of uh, instruments and sounds, and then also mixing, utilizing, processing, you know, equalization, compression, all the basics in signal processing. And also, like I said, just producing a recording.
0: Because one of the things I love about your record is it just sounds really, really good. Like listening to it feels good on the ears. I think like, even if someone who listens to it isn't a particular fan of your like, your musical choices, I think it'd yeah. be hard for someone to be like, Oh, that was unpleasant. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's, for it's sure. A, it's no, a I'm really, really that. satisfying listen.
1: Thank you. Um, I had that in mind on the outset of this project and it ties in with sonic novelty, but I wanted it to feel good on the ears for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, a little ASMR type thing going on. Yeah.
0: I yeah. think like there's this one moment in the opening track Where you do have that sort of ASMR feeling, where like it's this like kind of bursting effect in the upper register of the mix that you just—it's like being like—it's that sort of tickling sensation. Exactly, ASMR people talk about.
1: Exactly, there was a lot of conscious exploration of high frequency utilization of high frequency sounds, and that again that ties into transcending traditional instrumentation. With uh, when you're dealing when the let's say the art itself is the recording, you're not like I said you're not limited to a, a performance of traditional uh, ensemble. So you can put in super high frequency sounds that you've captured elsewhere, or super low frequency sounds. So you can expand the um, the overall spectrum of the the song or track. Right. That was yeah, that was again one of the main attractions of doing a more electronica sample based approach or mixing in those elements to expand right. the aural experience spectrum or whatever.
0: Scrolling back even further through time, what were the early influences that started getting you into playing music just to begin with? You know, you mentioned you were really into progressive metal and yeah. uh, high-energy guitar playing and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but what got you started on that road
1: to begin with? The road of just exploring and playing music, or...? I guess so.
0: I mean, yeah, if yeah. that's where it started for you, yeah, yeah. If, that's yeah. Where if it we want to go
1: back, I mean, I, 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 I've always remembered being moved or attracted to certain sounds, uh, and when I say sounds, at this point, I just mean melodies or harmonies mm-hmm. in a traditional sense. So, like tones being organized in a certain way, and I kind of just followed that feeling, and I, I ended up in certain genres. So I, I found it in metal a lot. Certain metal bands had these sounds I was attracted to, and then I also found them in Depeche Mode, uh, and then I started hearing them in film music. Now, I know I I sound kind of cryptic. I don't want to delve too much into music theory, but I, I was usually attracted to uh, natural minor aeolian sounds. Now, when I was young, I didn't know that. I was just like, oh, there's that thing, and it makes me like this song better than the other songs on the album. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. So, so yeah, I just yeah. kind of followed that attraction, and I I, I, I just ended up where I... I guess I ended up, you know, because you
0: could go a few different routes from that starting point. Sure, because if you could just be like, "Oh, that's the stuff that I like to hear," so I'm just going to basically figure out how to play that and just only yeah. do that on guitar forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's most like metalheads take that route. Yeah. They just they figure out their you know harmonic minor scales and their natural minor scales and they write necrophagous songs until the end of <laughs> time.
1: <laughs> yes. But a well, you took oiled took a different machine. Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> Well, I will admit when I got older, it it became more it wasn't just about oh, these sounds make me feel good. It was I got into like oh, like being good at something and like you know, working hard at something and developing technique. It's impressive. People will think it's you know, so there's that when you're a, a young, you know, young guy, I guess, it, that that becomes attractive. So there there are two forces. There're just sounds that like made me feel good and also just oh, I want to be good at my instrument.
0: You chose to actually like figure out the musical science behind what sounds made you feel that way
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: and so how when did you start like studying music theory and taking that seriously
1: well yeah it, it, it the as we were saying the impetus was wow these sounds make me feel a certain way and they're pretty powerful to me so what's up you know what what's going on there that was the impetus and i guess learning an instrument is the first thing you do but then like you said you can start analyzing music more critically and developing a music theory language, which is just a labeling system for certain patterns. Right. I started getting into that with my guitar instructor in high school, who was an amazing guitar instructor, Sean Radford, big shout out to him. He's a very inspiring person. And he kind of made theory fun for me. He's like, look, we can just like see what people have done before us, come up with a descriptive language and and it can help us, you know, with our own uh, explorations or whatever. And that's when I so it was in it was like early high school. I started developing that kind of language, our ability to describe what I was hearing.
0: And then you decided to pursue that, you know, based on your love of film scoring. You decided to take that to the next level in college, and then yeah, grad exactly. As well. And
1: then with that, there's also just a couple a coupling of what I was creating, what I like creating, sounded like it could be in a, a film, you know what I mean? Which is a very kind of vague statement, but you, know, mm-hmm. I'm sure people know what that, what I mean by that. And people told me that too. Oh, this could be in a, you know, blah, 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 blah. So there, there was a feedback loop there. Like, oh, this that inspired me to continue that as well.
0: I, I understand that, and I relate to that a great deal. Like, for basically the entirety of... Once I started writing music and I showed it to anyone, they just said, like, oh, this sounds like boss
1: battle music. And yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's not an insult. I, I think if if you're a bit more... Let's say emotionally immature, it's easy to take that as like an insult, but it's not. It's just it's their kind of analog to what they're hearing. And they're not like trying to diminish your your individuality, you know? No, totally. And
0: also, like, you know, you know me really well. Like Nobu Uematsu is like my fucking guy. So if you tell me that anything that I write sounds even remotely like him... I'll take it like that's yeah, yeah, a compliment yeah. we've discussed sort of the your early musical influences and your your professional influences but when did you start getting into these uh, electronic artists that you mentioned earlier like uh like Tycho mm. and and whatnot when did that become a uh, a part of your musical palette so yeah, to speak
1: yeah it was well I was primed to be amenable to this style because my dad's eclectic tape and CD collection included Depeche Mode so mm-hmm. I, I grew up being you know exposed to these sounds because a lot of people it's hard for people to get into certain genres because of the sounds the timbres so i think i i was i was i was ready to be open to it but in college uh you included a lot of my friends showed me some electronic artists um bt's this binary universe our our mutual uh friend jack showed me that and i fell in love with it because it had a mm-hmm. cinematic vibe to it the flash bulb flash bulb exactly yeah yeah yeah, and then later you showed me Tim Hacker, which opened up a whole world for me. I mean, he's one of my favorite um, artists, period. And it was really in yeah, the college years were definitely exploratory, with uh, genre-wise for me, uh, and I broke out of my prog metal tunnel, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's funny. Like, do you feel like it was like after? sophomore year that we all started to like actually figure that out because at least that that's what it was for me is like the first two years it was like yeah you're in all your, dream theater yeah, all pain yeah. of salvation all yeah. the time exactly. and then starting starting in junior year I was like oh okay now yeah. I can like
1: accept that there exactly. are
0: other, other parts to life
1: yeah of course so I, I, I definitely had the prog metal tunnel I also had my film music tunnel mm-hmm. you know uh John Williams Howard Shore James Newton Howard. but yeah, we started to expand my my film scoring tunnel expanded into just the larger world of Western art music, and then my the kind of prog music tunnel started to merge with more electronic music type stuff and you know other styles like that, sample based totally. stuff. Yeah,
0: right. And it came down to deciding your <clears throat> you know your passion project. Yes. Uh, going back to 2018 now, why did you specifically settle on going the electronic route mm. instead of possibly pulling from some of the other influences that we've discussed
1: great question i listen to more of that music a lot now and i resonate i really emotionally resonate with a lot of that type of music now more than the other genres we're talking about like prog metal and stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, i think just people's lives and tastes change and i was very i do like the sonic and we keep coming back to this concept just the sonic novelty that this style can provide was very it, it was exciting to me so like the very, like sub bass frequencies, you can really explore sub bass and then you can really e- explore super high frequencies, right? Right. And that was exciting to me. So it, it seemed like there was more room for exploration in general.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally feel that. And I think it also like makes more sense with kind of people's tastes these days too. Like exactly. I'm not not trying to say that you're like aiming for some sort of mass appeal, but I think in general, you know, we, we came of age at a time where like, rock music got completely supplanted by EDM as, like, the party yep. music of our generation. And I think also, like, the, you know, heady, chill-out music of our generation, too. Like, people probably used to listen to, like, John Luponte or, you know, Mike Odofeld or whatever the exactly. fuck. And now they listen to, you know, Bibio. So yeah, yeah, it, it sure. makes a lot of sense that you would go that route yeah. to, to evoke those same kind of feelings.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So
0: after you were doing... How long did that sound collection phase last for and when did you sort of know that you had got what you needed
1: well there were points in time during the album where there were like let's say mini sound collection phases so it wasn't it wasn't like all right we're done with sound collecting and now we're only gonna uh put it through the um or just develop those sounds in the, into full-fledged songs but the main one that we were talking about was maybe like a month mm-hmm. a month or two yeah
0: following that phase did you immediately know what you wanted to do with those sounds? Like, how did you start putting together the actual songs that you yeah, yeah, on the record? Yeah, it's
1: another great question and a deep question. <clears throat> <laughs> um, with me, usually writing music is, I like to say, a bottom-up process. And I'm borrowing a term from psychology. Meaning, I'm usually... My music will start to manifest once I'm um, playing or improvising with something there like an external phenomena will, will inspire me to go a certain path rather than having something in my head and trying to realize it so that would be mm-hmm. like top bottom conceptual too i'm usually the reverse where it's like i i like playing with actual external phenomena in front of me whether i'm improvising at a piano or exploring a a, a sound i recorded then that that sound or kernel itself kind of induces a path that i i start to take I'm sure you experienced that as well.
0: I, I mean, I'm more of a top-down okay, guy cool. in general, yeah. but I know because I'm on that side of the spectrum, I can recognize what the other side Exactly. Is.
1: And sometimes this bottom-up approach or whatever will inspire a concept. And then mm-hmm. that will, you know, so it's a feedback loop. You know what I mean? But I, it, usually for me, it starts with playing with and experimenting with something in front of me. That's what what happened with LaQuessent, the first track. Uh-huh. And again, it doesn't have to be like the the sounds are recorded. It could be just a synth or keyboard traditional instrument thing because most of the songs have still traditional instruments.
0: Mm-hmm. That one's got like a pretty big outro to it that is yes, that specifically yes. relies on on acoustic instruments.
1: Exactly, yeah. Well, th- there's a little quirky ending, little uh quirky homage to a, an older project called Bards of Mermedia, if you have not Oh. Did you not holy notice that? Shit,
0: I <laughs> i now suddenly it, it all clicks together yeah like, you're probably oh, like what
1: the totally hell is he doing is with this what that is. <laughs> it was a quirky decision but i'm glad i did it
0: yeah no no no. I, it's a really great it's it reminds me of like it kind of does remind me of like old 70s records where sometimes like some sort of completely unrelated idea exactly fade in and then fade out and yeah. just be like oh yeah that's just like a, a little like palate cleanser at the end of the song exactly
1: or or like you can kind of it could be representative of something. It, it can represent like a, a glint, a glint or a glimpse of something in the distance, maybe mm-hmm. of an earlier time, a simpler time. You know what I mean? Like a campfire in the distance totally behind no. the haze. You know. <laughs> to, yeah.
0: That song's also notable because it's one of the two songs on the record that has a a, a guest vocalist as yes. well. Yes. Yes. Uh, how did that come about?
1: I was thinking about like if I wanted all the tracks to be instrumental. Or if I wanted collaborations with vocalists, and this was this is kind of modeling or, or queuing off the the model of a lot of these artists who do that, like Bonobo will release a record, Simon Green is Bonobo, mm-hmm. and he'll have mostly instrumental stuff, but he'll have guest vocalist uh, collaborations interpolated throughout. So I, I just I, I, I like that. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. So I, that's I just kind of modeled it off of that.
0: Did you have that in mind when you started work when the song started coming together? Or yes, yes, was that... that
1: that was one yeah that was one concept I had in mind that what that was guiding a little bit. I knew if it was going to be instrumental or a vocalist uh, collaboration, vocal collab.
0: And was that top down or or bottom up?
1: Laquescent, Well, started off. I I knew. Well, the the top down aspect was I knew I wanted a vocalist on it, so I built the track in my bottom-up fashion knowing that there will be a vocal line set on top of it and i wanted them to compose the line and the lyrics totally so it's a mix i guess
0: right and so the uh Bobbia, is that the name of the uh, the singer yes how did you uh come in contact with them and how did how was the process of uh collaborating
1: with she was my roommate for a year so that
0: helped ah that definitely does help
1: we met through uh the berkeley network because um i needed a new roommate and i just posted it in yeah, and I I loved her voice and listened to a, a bunch of her projects, and yeah, I, I really liked her. I guess her idiosync- idiosyncrasies with her voice. Right. And I was like, hey, do you want to, you know, collaborate and make a top line, and yeah.
0: And so did, did you have any sense of, like, what angle she was taking when it came to the lyrics, or did you just kind of let her do whatever she wanted on that?
1: Yeah, it, it was more more the latter. I, mm-hmm. I was pretty open with, with the whole thing, so...
0: Well, there's a, another song, and what, one of the things that I like that's kind of subtle about this record is it's entirely symmetrical.
1: Ah, uh, um, uh, you're the first one in.
0: I'm a form nerd. I see these things. <laughs> I just like...
1: <laughs> oh, I love it.
0: So on the other side of the album, you yes. have Helium, which is uh-huh. the other you know big vocal track, mm-hmm. and the one that I would say has like the biggest like chorus moment on the entire yeah,
1: album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more it, sectional, traditionally sectional song is, mm-hmm. is that what you're getting at or just like a you're just saying a big chorus moment as in like yeah well
0: i mean kind of the, i think those two things are related to some yeah, extent yeah. you know you kind of have to have a sectional approach in order to have like a big dominant chorus like that exactly. doesn't just happen out exactly of nowhere. yeah well i was just going to ask what was the process behind that particular song
1: that one it was it was a similar it was similar i i had i composed the whole thing with knowing that a vocal line would happen not that i had a vocal line in mind that there's a difference. I composed it knowing that I wanted someone to to bring something to the table on top of it. And it was the same thing.
0: As a composer, how does knowing that change the way that you write the song?
1: You want to you make a little bit of... You want real estate open for the vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want a lot of foreground stuff um, that may be otherwise in an instrumental track. For right. instance, like on the Lotus has like an anthemic synth line, right? That's right. very foreground. Right. You don't want stuff like that. You want you want to provide a nice bedrock for the vocals, in this case, for me at least. Mm-hmm.
0: Does it also affect like your chord progression choices? Do you want to find something that is like easy for someone to navigate? You don't want to like throw some insane cold yeah, yeah. Th- th- changes that. at them.
1: There's that in this for sure. And you know what? I, I actually I still like, I love clever modulations and seeing what you can do with 12-tone equal temperament and tonal centers. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, but these days I'm not as affected by that stuff, and I don't really whip that out unless it's a style that calls for it. So I didn't, really, I, I didn't need to worry about crazy harmonic changes that much in this re- on this record. There may be like one or two subtle modulations, but yeah.
0: Do you feel like that's because your focus was so much more on the the textural, like timbral Probably, side of yeah. things?
1: Yeah, and like in in a a a modulation can kind of it can kind of rip you out of a certain space you're in, and it can almost mm-hmm. come off as heavy-handed. I don't want to say cheesy. That's because it seems automatically pejorative, but it I yeah, if that makes any it's, sense.
0: It can be very obvious. You yes, know? exactly. And it, I think in cases where, like in your like in film work, doing that kind of thing is way more acceptable because it's ultimately in support of a film that's yeah. pro, like justifying those changes. Mm-hmm. But without like a visual component, it can feel really wild to do like some sort yeah. of insane modulation yeah. without it being like rooted in some sort of emotional realism. Exactly.
1: In song. Exactly, and I would need like a reason. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. uh, Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love like you know it's fun showing off composition chops, and seeing how clever you can uh, modulate. But you know I didn't. There wasn't much room for that in this project. So,
0: how did you decide on that uh, symmetrical setup? By the way.
1: Well, I knew. Okay, so I guess there was there was. I guess I lied. There was some top down concepts I had going in. I wanted a ambient intro to the album to usher in. And then an ambient outro to kind of usher out, for lack of a better term. And then, so that that's symmetry already, right? Right. A type of symmetry. And then the fact that I ended up doing two vocal tracks, it just made sense to kind of continue that symmetry. Other than that, there's no profound reason.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's really cool though. What I what I like about it is it's not copied. It's not like replicated patterns, yes, yes. you know, it's actually like a palindrome pattern, which I feel like is generally not done when I see these sort of things. Like, yeah. you know, I, I used to work as a music journalist and I would listen to like a ton of records. And when someone would do like first track of side A and first track of side B are the same. And, yeah. you know, track I see two you mean. And both sides mm-hmm. are the same. Like, that's cool. I like that. But the fact that it actually goes, it has like a, a parabolic arc to it or you know yeah. something like that it makes it feel more cohesive as like an actual journey that like that's starts cool. somewhere and ends somewhere
1: yeah were you were you commenting on the epilogue the out the the last moments of the epilogue were similar sounds in the, the beginning of the prologue is that what you're saying
0: um i mean oh. that, that's definitely something that occurred to me and you see those sort of things too like everyone that's listened to Pink floyd has made an album where the yeah. beginning and the end are the same yeah like but, dark,
1: dark side comes to mind
0: Right, Dark side, Animals, Yeah, The Wall, so many of those records, yeah. like even Suffocation, do that. You know, yeah, like yeah. that's not some sort of like hidden secret technique at this point. Damn, I thought it. Was, oh
1: god, I, I thought it was pioneering <laughs> shit, man. <Yeah.
0: laughs> I guess the one piece of symmetry that I would say about the like the internal tracks is that those are like the long form, yeah, you know, six minute instrumentals. Mm-hmm. Although, in some ways, I'd say that they're also. Like there's some there's some differences definitely like I feel like jovial J is like the most rhythmically interesting of the bunch.
1: Yeah, the rhythmic profile is different than all of them. It's yeah. I was worried that it was kind of out of place, but I just went I just I just put it in. You know.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think it's a good thing to do because especially like coming out of the interlude in the middle, the sort of like string quartet that you've got in the middle, yeah. it was it was a good way of livening up. The second half of the yes, album. exactly
1: a little uh, respite from the solemnity of the, the string trio actually two cellos and one violin
0: ah my mistake okay. I'm wild
1: dude I'm wild
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it, it has this sort of like shuffling more it, it like I don't have an exact there's swing my, there's swing to it yeah there's swing to it and yeah. in that way it feels maybe a bit more akin to like the L A beat making of course scene.
1: yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, Did you do you
0: listen to that kind of stuff? Was that an influence on that track?
1: Like br- the artists on Brainfeeder? Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, I love I love I love a lot of those artists. I love La Palux, uh, especially his earlier releases, have a kind of more let's say languid rhythmic profile, more relaxed, and then you know Flying Lotus, but also you know more the more down tempo UK guys do that as well. I mean, Bonobo has Bonobo, it's all over Bonobo. So, but gotcha, yeah, I, okay. I love I love Brainfeeder
0: just kind of bouncing around the rest of the record it's okay to me it was like if i didn't know that it was you that was making this project if i heard that i'd be like oh andrew would be really into this (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious like that. amazing the lead line in the song it's okay uh the flute it's like yes it's so like you and i really appreciate
1: that I, i guess it's just melodic choices or is it's it harmon- melodic choices,
0: yeah. uh, and of course, like put against in the context of certain harmonic choices? Oh, okay, too, but that's just, help- like that's funny. The emotion that it gives me is like I could immediately see you doing, you know, like your like fist clenching thing that you would do to like <laughs> your favorite tracks. It's...
1: <laughs> that's amazing.
0: <laughs> How did that particular song start to come together? Like, what, what was the process for that one?
1: Okay, cool. Well, th- Coming back to metric, uh, rhythmic profiles, that's another one that deviated, right? It, it was more of a four on the floor or four to the floor. I forgot the term, four to the floor, four on the floor. It was like a house beat, whatever, a house beat, right? That's the only one that has a house beat, and I, I like the, I like that energ- that rhythmic energy of of house music or trance or whatever. And I listened to a lot of Will Weisenfeld Baths in Geotic. and he oh, he, totally. ha- he he has that a lot. And I wanted a track that had that that energy. I guess well that, that is a type of top down conceptual planning. So maybe I'm well, I'm just lying to you about all the stuff. <laughs> but um it's 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 hard to have one or the other, right? But yeah, yeah I, exactly. I, I knew I wanted a more a track that had a more of a house impulse uh in the beat. But I wanted it to be more progressive in um sections in, in terms of like not like most of those tracks are cyclical, these types of trance house tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they create a space for you to kind of, you know, get in transit or whatever. But I wanted to infuse a dramatic arc into something like that. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. No, yeah. I, I think that that's like a pretty common... Not to say that your work is common. I think oh. that that's like a, an obvious... Like a, a really logical step from the kind of work that you're making as a way of approaching a, a house track because sort of like similar to the, the more functional music work that we're talking about earlier, a lot of, I think, like dance music kind of is functional in some ways mm-hmm. like like creating that sort of looping yeah, rhythm yeah. has the purpose is to allow the the listener or the dancer or like the group of people dancing to kind of fill in the space and tell the story exactly yeah, but yeah. if you're creating something that's meant to be listened to in the context of a record or on its own absent of a dance floor the composer yeah, has exactly. to kind of provide that narrative arc instead yeah
1: for sure and like I love I love dance music don't get me wrong and but in the melodic and harmonic dimension dance music is a cyclical form more or less right but it, mm-hmm. but it does expand but it expands in volume and, and rhythmic expectation that's that's the, um, the the dynamism in more traditional dance music but in this case i wanted also to change up the melody and harmony so to have a more traditional dramatic development in, in sections you know what i mean i guess you it's kind of it's maybe it's my prague roots coming out
0: yeah there's some parts of that shit that never really truly goes away you know what i mean i've like the great thing about drumming is like i can hear myself leaning into some sort of like crazy polyrhythm and Mm -hmm. i just like no 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 cut it off at the end of the bar so it like loops back around in a more different way like you can you can turn a five over four polyrhythm into something actually totally normal very easily so you can kind of head yourself off at the (laughs)
1: like the desire to develop and like go somewhere i think hasn't left me completely even though i love non-developmental music or cyclical music mm-hmm. when i'm making music it's like oh i'm gonna be more non-developmental and just have a cyclical f-. I, I tend to like no maybe, yeah. maybe i just i i got a kind of air of drama about my music so yeah
0: no i mean it's we all have our own like i, I think there's ways that all of these things are are good for us because that's a toolbox that you have that would separate you from yeah someone who yeah, yeah doesn't sure. have that and can make your music maybe open up to a different audience that wouldn't be into it otherwise that's a good Um, point so going through the other tracks that we haven't really talked about yet we haven't really spoken on uh, on the lotus yet Mm. what's the story behind that one
1: i knew again very intuitive i was just going to see where the sounds or choices or would take me or what pathways would uh, open up for me but there was one thing I wanted to explore, uh, and that was a very dynamic, high frequency percussion element, especially mm. in one of the sections that almost takes on the characteristic of some sort of organic object undulating. If that makes any <laughs> sense. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? The part where it's almost like a hi hat, sprinkly yeah. sound.
0: Yes. I definitely. wanted to explore
1: high frequency. Objects, undulating objects in that one. At least for one of the sections, and then the outro as well.
0: And so you sort of built the song in such a way that would allow you to take those exactly, exactly.
1: And and the song is very sectional. It's actually in many ways pretty traditional. Mm There, there, in terms of like foreground and background. Towards the middle of the song, a, a foreground emerges out of a synth line, and it's very anthemic. I also, and then with a lot of these, I made a point to. Have the openings very immersive and attention grabbing, so I always had that in the back of my mind. I want this to open up with something intriguing, right, and then go into the song, but other than that, that's how it, that's how it was created.
0: One of the things I want to talk about is, even though this is a, a ostensibly like a, a solo project, yes, despite you know having like you've had guest singers on both track on two tracks, instrumentalists. So for those instrumentalists, were you writing out sheet music for them or was it more of a collaborative
1: process? So for the more traditional orchestral instruments, uh, violins, cellos and flutes, I did write out the sheet music. Mm -hmm. But with the vocalists, the vocalists, they they created their own. So it was more collaborative. There was another layer of collaboration. They created their own melodies.
0: And so those are the only examples that you have. You have the, the flute, you've got the, the string trio, and you've exactly. got the vocalists.
1: And then the rest is just me playing a variety of instruments, guitars, mandolin, uh, hand drums, and mm-hmm. stuff like that.
0: But you've also collaborated with other people, too. Like, there's obviously the album art is not your own. Oh, the, yes, of course. You've got two different music videos, both of which I think are, are shot by – both of those are Jake's, right?
1: Well, there's, there's one.
0: One, right. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got, I a sort of like visual – Palette video that you've got up as well. That's sort of like drawn from the same footage.
1: We we did have a photo shoot for just still photos that we I have associated with each. each Gotcha. That's what I'm. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. So there is a visual collaboration with Jake, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it was really cool.
0: How did you decide like who you wanted to bring in, what you wanted for those like more visual, the visual side Mm -hmm. of the the Numina project? Like, what was your vision for that?
1: Well, sometimes it does come down to friends. Like working with friends, so there's there's a little bit of let's let's say nepotism, a light light nepotism, but mm-hmm. I I always like so our mutual friend Mike Lambert, uh, also a great musician, also is a photographer, right? And he right. also makes um, he also um, what what is it called? Digitally enhances the photo, or like it's what is like it? photo editing? Stuff. Photo editing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I sound like an idiot right now. Also, just
0: full disclosure, like Mike Lambert played guitar on the Last Forms record, so he's like fully in the family.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you know, multi talented. But I I actually like his. I always liked his photography style and what he does with his photos. So that was just an easy choice for me. And he know, you know, when people know you, that also is that also aids in collaboration. I think if people really know you, and like you know, I know Mike pretty well. At least I think I do. So he he knows my my style, and I'm sure that helped him create something visually to complement that style.
0: And then for the the music video, we've we've discussed that. but That's also like basically like old friends. Same as thing, well. yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, yep. So did you just basically let Jake give like the full full reins over to him on that, or did you have an, any ideas for the uh, the video going in? Yeah,
1: I it was there was a degree of collaboration, but I definitely wanted him to take the reins you know i I, we had we brainstorm ideas just like abstract ideas like what if we had you know our friend kai martial artist um Mm -hmm. stunt specialist if that's the term we thought you know it it started with a question what if we had kai doing kung uh uh, kung fu and tai chi and that was just like we just started with that and see what happened you know that it was stuff like that and then but then i wanted you know i wanted uh, jake to take the reins and then i would just kind of oversee but not really control a lot of it you know i would just help out
0: yeah i mean it's a it's a cool video it's very vibey definitely you know having it in nature makes it feel appropriate to a lot of the sound choices that you're making
1: budget restrictions also limit you know also limit your possibilities so we wanted to do something as you know as cool as we can do with our budget so
0: yeah, no, but I, what I like is that you guys still have, like drone shots and some, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. I feel like is the biggest boon to like on the budget filmmaking right now that you yeah. can actually get these like huge sweeping vistas. Exactly. And, yeah, 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 you know, really, really great shots on like what seems to me like, you know, I don't know the the, the budget and I won't ask because I think that's uncouth. Yeah. But that's that seems like a really awesome tool to create something that's not just like some dudes jamming in a basement. You know, like yeah, of
1: course. And I thought, I thought it it would help the music video because it, because the song is does have a kind of vast epicness. I I don't like using that term that much anymore, but you know what I mean. So you, <laughs> it would be kind of weird if we didn't have those big wide shots,
0: right? So that's not the only visual element that you have to this project. One of the things that I've been really impressed with is the way that you've you sustained, you know, this promotional churn, you know, while you were making the record, you were showcasing, you know, what instruments you were playing like works in progress. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, you know, side improvisational stuff that didn't make it onto the record. What was your approach to, you know, creating all these Instagram videos and social media stuff prior to the record building to up to the record? Like how did you conceive of that? And how did Mm -hmm. you approach that?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, let's say the impetus there was deciding that I'm not going to be with a label. It's just not going to, you know, it's not going to happen. And I'm going to have to, if I want people to hear my music, I'm going to have to reach people. So mm-hmm. it was just, that was the main um, problem I had to solve. And it seemed like, you know, Instagram seems like the place to do that right now for musician musicians. So then from there, it's like, so how do I get people you know, even if it's like four people, how do how how do I get them interested in what I'm doing? I think in trying to invite them in, into the creative process is interesting to them. I mean, that's what was going on in my mind. And regarding just like me playing instruments, that that's more of like, hey, like a, <laughs> a kind of a lost leader, you know, in 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 a market. Like, <laughs> hey, you're in here now. You like that? What about this? Right, Explore, right. but you know, and and I like improvising and playing instruments too. So it, it, sometimes it's not even about the album, but. Does that make right. Sense? No,
0: totally. Yeah. I, I, and do you feel like that helped in terms <clears throat> of like getting the record into people's consciousness?
1: Yeah, it did. I, it, it it requires a lot of work, and the work to reward ratio may not be ideal in the beginning. But if you, if it be, if you get in a groove and it becomes more of a lifestyle thing, it just becomes you know a part of your life. It, it's it's more. I guess you can handle it more.
0: I just I part of the reason I ask is because I'm sort of like gearing up to work on my next record, you know, and it's something that I think about a lot is like,
1: yeah, okay, shit,
0: I should get into that. I should. like, well,
1: Yeah, man. I mean, how else are you going to expose your music to people if mm-hmm. you don't have a label who's promoting for you? You know what I mean? What, what are we going to buy a billboard ad? <laughs> that would be right. hilarious. So it really is necessity. I mean, like, what is What's the saying? Necessity is the mother of. invention Invention. or action yeah Yeah, yeah. so it's Mm -hmm. like all right well i I gotta do this so a lot of it was that right
0: so going forward you know now that the record is out there it exists in the world Mm -hmm. you've got your pin on the map yeah uh what's your next steps like what's what do you plan on doing with uh, numina going forward
1: cool so i mean i don't have huge lofty aspirations to the point where this will be my the my central focus of my whole Life, You know what I mean? I still love film music and film scoring and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm still developing that career. But Numina really is a kind of domain where I can put out, um, express myself and wherever it goes, it will go. I, it, it, I, I hate to be vague and cryptic, but I'm not setting a lot of expectations, uh, high expectations for it. Because I don't know if it's going to be a live performance thing. It may be just a studio project that I revisit and I just kind of slowly build. So it may be sure. one of those slowly build, slow burn things. If that makes any sense. I'm in babble mode, I think.
0: No, no, I feel um, that. I, did, I'm, I guess I should clarify my question was in terms of what's interesting to you musically going forward. Like where do you see yourself
1: oh, taking
0: the music side of the project?
1: So new. Okay, okay. Yeah, I... I'm open. I do want to do a solely more ambient, beatless release. Mm -hmm. But I'm afraid that may signify some sort of genre fickleness on my part. So I may do an EP of more beat stuff and then maybe later an ambient release. You know, like Opeth did Damnation after a few solid death metal, prog death metal releases, something like that, if that makes sense.
0: Right. If I can make any point, is that I think that... the good thing about being in electronic music is that there's a bit more leeway with that sort yes, of stuff you're right you're right like metalheads you know you change from black metal to death metal and you lose half your audience yeah and most of the world doesn't even notice the difference <laughs> it's whereas there. in electronic music i feel like there's much more of an understanding like oh this is Aphex twins ambient record this is his you know putting out like a a dance you know a a dance ep yeah there's much more of an acceptance of like playing around within certain forms
1: that quells my my anxiety towards it i think and yeah i think you're right and also with this release i there is a degree of dynamism in genre within electronica i like i said Mm -hmm. i have the down tempo stuff um, the house, more housey track. So, and the ambient stuff. So I've already established that I have a degree of variation, uh, right. Within You've the left forms. the door open. Exactly. Can't so, go into any of those rooms. So yeah, that makes me feel a little bit, little bit better about going straight to an ambient release. Cause I would love to, uh, do that.
0: Hell yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time and I should be getting some dinner ready on my end sometime soon, but no this worries. is awesome. I, I, I really had a great time talking to you today, man.
1: Likewise, man. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Andrew, for joining me today. You can find all of the useful Numina links at SongWhip.com/artist/Numina. You can find more episodes of Lamniforms Radio on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com/Lamniforms-Sounds or on the iTunes podcast app. And you can follow me on Twitter at lamnaforms underscore or on Instagram at Corey. More episodes soon. Until next time.